message. I should start by saying that this message does come with a warning. It's not for, serious, it's not for children, I would imagine, and it's certainly for young ones, but parents make a decision on that. I'm going to talk about some topics that are more adult topics, and if you're easily offended as well, this might be the moment to kind of leave the room and, you know, quietly excuse yourself. Pretend you go in the toilet if, that, if you feel embarrassed or something like that, and just don't come back. Not in a wrong way. Please come back another time. Um, so I should also say, please, it's not the top that I'm apologizing for, the offense that I know that this will cause. My excuse is it is Father's Day. My children, I came, they came down this morning. I was preparing the word as I normally do on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching. And they came down and presented me with the top. What was I to do? What was I to do? I've never done it before, so forgive me if it somehow seems sacrilegious. It's not meant to be. We are forgiven. Um, so let's just go straight into the Scripture. Romans 1.17 says this. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, the other thing I should say is I'm going to endeavor this morning to stay behind the pulpit a bit more. If you'd normally come to our church, you'll often see me jumping off the platform. I'm generally all around. The first thing I do with the pulpit here is move it out of the way and all of that stuff. But there's a lot of stuff in the notes that I want to make sure I get it right and I don't miss stuff out. So I'm going to endeavor to do that. In fact, one of our camera ladies actually asked me, could you just stay a bit stiller? I can't keep up with you. So she might be a bit more pleased this morning. It's a brilliant start, isn't it, that verse? And effectively what it's telling us is, it is by faith that we are made right with God. Yeah, that is, and that is what we preach. It is by faith. If you want to be right with God, you achieve that through faith, not through works. Now, what I need to say, though, is that that verse on its own, right, kind of gives a, a, an impression that that means we can just do anything we want. And that's not what it's saying. It's almost like, you know, the, you hear these diets being peddled all the time. You know, take this diet, just eat a, it was one of them, a grapefruit diet. Eat half a grapefruit every day. You can eat anything you want as long as you eat half a grapefruit every day and you will be perfect build and that's it. And it's almost like that's what this verse is saying. If you just take that on its own, hey, if I've just got faith, then that's it. I can do anything I want with the rest of my life and that half a grapefruit is going to deal with it all and my life is cool and there's no problem whatsoever. But that's not not what it's saying. And in fact, actually, that, well, in one sense, that verse is almost sounds like it's saying that, but it's what Paul says immediately after it that assures us that that's not what he's saying. This, he says this, it's verse 18, and it's, <laughs> he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ladies, you don't get off the hook. It means you too, 
Okay, so don't be thinking, oh, that's just for the guys, this one. No, it's all of us, unfortunately. Or, well, fortunately for the guys, because we don't want the women just doing what we want, do we? And ladies, I'm sure if it was the other way around, you'd feel the same way. But anyway, uh, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is angry at your sin. God's annoyed. He's angry at your sin. Your sin angers him. Now, anger isn't necessarily an emotion that we, that we kind of think of when we think about God. I mean, Christian church, New Testament church, God is love, God is love, God is love, all of this stuff. God is love, yeah, absolutely. I'm a father, right? So to say I'm a father, that's brilliant. But I'm also a husband. I'm not just a father. I've got other characteristics to my life. I've got other callings to my life. I'm here for other reasons just than other to just be a father or just a pastor or just a husband or just anything else. And God is not just love. God is holiness. God is love and he is holiness. He is all love and he is all powerful. The, the two, uh, along with truth, which I think kind of encompasses everything, really. I think of truth as a blanket around everything. But God's love and his holiness, his power, his unlimited power, characterize who he is. And one doesn't bring the other one down. As we often see in life, the more powerful you are, the more cold you can appear. And the more loving and kind you are, the less powerful you can appear. Not with God. He's able to be all-powerful and all-love at the same time, and neither has to be diminished. So I want to show you in this message, because God expects you to abide by those standards that he sets in his words. He expects you to. If you're a Christian this morning, and non-Christians, he expects them to, but often they choose not to. But I want to show you in this message, I'm going to show you in this message, the sad reason why some sins are worse than others. Fact, some sins are worse than others, and why it's so easy to write some sins off, particularly those ones, as just forgiven with no consequences whatsoever, when actually the reality is that's not the case. I'm also going to show you how to know if you've lost your place in heaven and what to do to get it back. Now that sounds like a heavy topic, doesn't it? That sounds like a controversial topic when we're talking about losing our place in heaven. You see, we live in a world that's got increasingly worse. I was unfaithful to England on Friday night. Most of you will know I'm a football fan, and I, and I you know, and I've always followed England. I kind of, you know, always got behind them and cheered them. Friday night came, and it was a weird, weird thing, right? I kind of, I was at home on my own. We were all meant to watch it for various reasons. The kids were all here, and the young, young, my young adult children were all here and doing various things here. And my wife was waiting for them and bringing them home. So I ended up watching the game on my own. And, and it surprised me, right? Because I sat down, put the game on, started, and I'm cheering Scotland on. For the first time in my life, I was cheering Scotland on. Oh, sorry, I was cheering any other team other than England on. I was actually, seriously, and it was like, it surprised me because it wasn't a conscious decision. I hadn't sat there and thought, you know what? I'm going to cheer on Scotland tonight. Now, you know, 
club before country and all that. For most football fans, I'll know what I'm on about with that. So there was a, a, a footballing element to it, but there was more of an element of, I've lost faith in not just our country, most countries in the world. I, I, I've literally, I, I'm struggling more and more and more with the leadership of our nations, with the, 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 the laws that are being passed, with the things that are being done, and I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm absolutely done with it. And, and it came back to me, and I was a bit embarrassed, really, that it, I, I felt like God say to me, remind me, Barry, you are a citizen of heaven first. And English, British, European, West, global, whatever, all of that comes secondary. I am a Christian and my identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. But there's one sin in all of it that has gotten so out of hand that it, it, and it's the worst sin of all and it is sexual sin. Romans 1 says that First kind of thing he's talking about is he's asking, he, he, he nails this sin down. We just talked about the verse. I mean, Paul goes on. I'm not going to read all the verses he says. But he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. This is the verse we've just read. And unrighteousness by men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And Romans 1 tells us that sin, or just generally sin, goes against the law of God. So sin, because we need to understand what sin is. Some, some of us, it's, it's an archaic word. You know, it's not one we hear. If we'd have been around 100 years ago, we'd have heard that word all the time. We'd have known what it meant. Young people don't hear sin. The teacher's talking about sin or anything like that. Sin is to go against God's holy, righteous law and his order. That's what sin is, to go against him, to defy him, right? And sexual sin is a part of that. But sexual sin doesn't just go against God's law and what he says. It goes against God's divine order in the world. There is a divine order that God has placed in the world. It is divine. He instituted it. He placed it there and it is his. And some people choose to disagree with that and ignore that. That's their right. I don't see God firing Lightning bolts down on people who commit sin. Anyone else? I'm not saying he never does that. I don't know. But I don't see that happening nowadays. I'm not seeing people who commit sin and are leading the most heinous lives, thunderbolts being fired down from heaven and then being destroyed in an instant the first time they put their foot wrong. I don't see God doing that. In fact, what I see is that God has given us free will. So you don't have to ask God permission before you do anything. That doesn't mean you shouldn't. But you don't have to. You could go out, you could walk out of this room right now and go and do pretty much anything you want. And God ain't going to send a lightning bolt down from heaven necessarily to stop you. And most of us know that is true because we've done it. We've done it. And some of us have prayed and said, oh, God, stop me. God, God, stop me. And then kind of gone, well, okay, I prayed God stop me, and he didn't. So, hey, it's just one of them things. Now I've done wrong. And God, you didn't stop me, did you? He ain't going to. 
99.9% of the time, I'm guessing, he ain't going to. He certainly doesn't all the time, does he? Anyone found that every single time you go to do something wrong, God stops you? And is that anyone's experience in here? Because I know most of you, and I know that ain't the case. And you know me, so you know that ain't the case with me either. His law, Romans 1 tells us, is inside us. It's in your DNA, you could say. It's written in your heart. You cannot get away from it. You cannot ignore it. It is everywhere to be seen. Whether you choose to acknowledge that or not, his law, his ways. We've got a couple leaving already, guys. Sorry to offend you. Take care. (laughs) But the thing about sexual sin... I said to you, I'd tell you why some sins were worse than others. Sexual sin is worse than others. Sexual sin is worse than others because God tells us. Because God tells us that when we commit sexual sin, we don't just sin against God, but when you commit sexual sin, you sin against yourself and your own body. You damage yourself. You destroy yourself. You are slowly whittling away at your humanity and your relationship with God. And um, who knows, potentially, well, we'll look at that in a minute, your place in heaven. Sexual sin isn't just against God. You are sinning against yourself. You're harming yourself. You attack yourself, you destroy yourself, and God's response is really, really clear on it. It's, and it's not just against him. When you commit a sexual act with another person, you are joined with them. The Bible tells us that you are, you, the two of you become one. The two of you become one. When you perform a sexual act with somebody else, the two of you become one flesh, one body. Husband and wife, me and Vicky, we are one. My body doesn't belong to me. Her body doesn't belong to her. It belongs to each other. We are one unit because we are joined by marriage and by the sexual acts that we've done. Sorry, that's not to offend anyone where my kids are in the room. Boys, you might want to leave now. You know what I mean? It's cool. I, I won't, I'll, you can watch it later if you want. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? Mine and Vicky's bodies don't just become one with each other, right? As a Christian, I am one with Christ. The word tells me I am part of the body, one of the members, one of the parts of the body of Christ. Just think about that for a moment. When you commit a sexual act, you're joining yourself with somebody else, yet a Christian is is joined with God, with Christ. How does that work? How can we be joined with someone that we're not married to and joined with Christ? How can that be? Marriage sanctifies. So if you're with someone who's not a Christian, so for example, I get married and Vicky's not a Christian and we, you know, neither am I and then I become a Christian at some point in that marriage. So let me just clear something up on that. God doesn't say suddenly you should leave that person and go. 
He says, you know, if that other person's willing, stay with them because you being married to them, you sanctify them. And, and I don't understand it completely, but what I do know is this, that God knew when you got saved that you were already married. So he knows what, you know, what needs to be done, and he's well able to sort out those issues. And certainly God stands by what he says about marriage. And marriage is, a, is in essence, the key defining point. Marriage is being attacked more and more and more in, the, in our society, in the world. And the reason it's being attacked and the, the, the area it's being attacked in, the answer is simple. It is a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. That's what marriage is. That's what God, who defined marriage in the first place, no one else God instituted marriage. It was his to institute. It wasn't the, the government or Boris Johnson or old Joe over in America or any of the others. It was God who instituted marriage. He instituted it. He decided what it was. And he's clear on how that should be and what we should do. But one of the clear, clear definitions of it, one of the clear Vows of it, I'm struggling for the words really, but ultimately it is a lifelong commitment. Till death us do part. As far as I am concerned, divorce is never an option. I don't care how bad it gets, I don't care how difficult it gets, I don't care what goes on, apart from unfaithfulness, divorce is not an option, according to the word and in my heart, and I believe that. And I believe that, that my wife believes that because she told me, and so that has kept us together. We've had tough times, and there's been times when it's been a struggle, and there's been times when it's been difficult, but in my heart, I've never considered genuinely divorce. I mean, we've both said things that we regret over the years and stuff like that. In 20-odd years, that's always going to happen, isn't it? But it's never, ever been a serious consideration, and I believe that my family is better for it. And the first thing I said is I would answer why some sins are worse than others. And it's because sexual sin, it's not just that you're sinning against yourself, if that's not bad enough as well as God, but it has the capacity to destroy your soul. Sexual sin has the capacity to destroy your soul. Now, if you've already committed sexual sin, We'll talk about that a bit later on. But how can you be joined to another in an unrighteous relationship, sexual relationship, and God at the same time? I don't know how that is possible. And I cannot stand here and say that to anyone that, hey, that's okay. You know, you carry on. You're still going to heaven. All's fine. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. God will sort it out. He's a forgiving and a generous and a gracious God. I can't stand here and say that. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 17 says this. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute. Never. 
And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. Now, sorry, ladies, this isn't to have a go at women. I'm sure it's the same the other way around. But, you know, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. That would have been more relevant the way that was written. But I don't have any doubt whatsoever when you read the other context and the other things that Paul says. He clearly lays down the responsibilities on both men and women. Neither get away with it that we can just, hey, it's just the other person's fault or anything like that. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. In other words, how can that be? And the consequences, I said I would talk about the consequences of sin and of, of, of particularly this sin. The consequences aren't just you, but they affect the body of Christ. They affect the person that you're having sexual relations with and they anger God. I'm sure they break his heart as well, but he says here it's actually, it angers him. That's what he says. He is annoyed and angry at it. Verses 9 to 10 say this, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me read that again. I'll go back from the previous two verses. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Don't you realize that those who do wrong and a sexual sin that Paul's talking about here will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes, see I told you ladies it wasn't just the guy, the, the, it wasn't just you Paul was getting that here as well, or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Quiet this morning, isn't it? Men, do you realize? I'm talking to sort of men for a moment, but women, I'm you know, I'm assuming you're listening to this as well. Do you realize, right? There's a recent study, study of six and a half thousand people. I should have checked, I think it was just women actually. Here's what it found, right? That women are less happy when they sleep with more than one person. Women Enjoy sex more when it is with the husband in a unity, in, in one where they are together and they are one. So guys, here's the thing, right? If you think you're sticking another notch on the bedpost and all of that stuff's going on and you're filling your boots and whatever phrases you want to use for it, right? You're actually damaging the woman that you're having the relationship with. She's not enjoying it as much as she would if you were her husband, if you two were one, if you two were united and joined. And I believe it's the same for men as well, actually. 
I think on the surface, we think it's not, and we would like to think that, you know, oh, yeah, we love to sleep around and all of that. But I think a lot of it is the cultural stuff that we're told on the telly and on the media that is so powerful that's trying to put a message out there that, you know, go and do it, go and do what you want, go and enjoy yourself. The sexual revolution, you know, the pill and all of that kind of stuff, the idea was it was sold to women, this is going to free you. You're going to be able to do what the men do, and you can go and sleep around and do what you want. But you know what? It's not been good for women. It's not been good for men. It's not been good for children. I don't see that it's been good for anyone. Anyone whatsoever. Because marriage is the right place to bring up a family. It is the institution that was placed there by God. It is his holy order. His not mine. This ain't my opinion that I'm, that I'm spouting here. I believe it. I 100% believe it because I lived a life and I can see it from the inside and the positive effect that it has. I didn't used to when I wasn't a Christian and, and I was sold the other, the other side of it. And when I was younger, I, I was with a girl for a number of years. We weren't married. She fell pregnant. I encouraged her to have an abortion. Worst possible thing I could have done, I encouraged her to kill our baby, to kill a baby. And, and you might find that hard to hear, but hey, I think I'm qualified to speak about it when I've been personally affected by it. I was sold that, hey, it's okay, just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. It's going to be inconvenient to you. You're only young. You want to go and live your life. I think I was 19 at the time. Just get rid of it. It's not a problem. Just get rid of it and go and live your life and you won't have a problem. In fact, is it, um, what's the lady now? She's doing an interview. I caught it by chance. Famous British film star. She's been in some films you wouldn't want. Joan Collins. Apparently, she's doing a Piers Morgan. Uh, it, it's on It's maybe tonight. I would advise, if you're a Christian, don't even bother watching it, to be quite frank. She talks about having an abortion, and she, her words are this, apparently. This is what I was reported to. I hope I get this right. This is as I understand it. I could be wrong. Is that, but Certainly, this is the gist of what she says, is that she doesn't regret it. She had an abortion when she was younger. She doesn't regret it because it allowed her to live a life and go and have one. I see that as selfish. I see what I did selfish and that's not to criticize anyone in here because I'm calling myself if I'm criticizing anyone I'm criticizing myself I've been a part of this I've been a part of this And it's getting worse. It's not just, I mean, we've lived with abortion for I don't know how long, but it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And I'd love to stand up here and tell you what happens during an abortion and the way that it's performed and, and all of that stuff, but I couldn't in all conscience. I don't think I could stand up here and explain it or tell you Go and look it up if you're interested. It is horrendous. Horrendous. God's way is clear and simple. And it works. Now, I should say this. I know there are some bad marriages out there. 
I know there are some bad marriages out there. I know there are some marriages that have been horrendous. And I'm not saying that you should just kind of, you know, if you're being beaten and, and forced into all kinds of different things and stuff like that, that we shouldn't do something about that and you shouldn't seek help. And maybe, maybe you should walk away from that. But certainly not necessarily into the arms of somebody else. But here's the thing, right? Because there's a bad marriage out there, because there's many, many bad marriages out there, let's be honest, let's be open about it. There are numerous terrible marriages out there. Particularly when it's abusive from one side towards the other. But there's bad doctors out there. Is anyone saying we should do away with doctors? There's bad teachers out there. I used to be a teacher. There's bad teachers out there who do incredible harm to children, untold harm to children. Is anyone saying we should do away with, with children and we should say, oh, they just all stay at home and not go to school? It seems to be built on, on this modern attitude. And I say modern, I think it's hundreds of years old. In fact, it's been going off since the beginning of time of I want to do what I want to do. And sin at its heart is, God, I know what you want me to do, but I don't really want to. I want to do my own thing. And, and I don't want you telling me what I can and can't do with my life or what I should and shouldn't do with my life. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Paul says this, run from sexual sin. Run from it. Run from it, he says. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God, the Holy Spirit? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. God's solution is to flee from it. Run for your life. If you find yourself in a situation where you get a sense that someone's flirting with you or anything like that, close it down. Close it down. Walk away from it. Turn your back. Go in the other direction. Don't start entertaining it. Joseph did exactly that when he was there in Genesis 39, I think it is, when his boss Potiphar, his, he was away on, on work and his wife came on to him. And, and what did Joseph do? He ran. But before he ran, he said this. He said, how dare I do this? And I'm paraphrasing it because my master, your husband, has been good to me has been good to me. How often do we damage people in sexual sin? Others that we don't even consider. The children that are affected by it, the other parties that are affected by it, you name it. You think that you, the things we do just affect you and your world and it's okay, it's only me and I'll take the blame for it and I'll take the hit for it, but you have no idea of the consequences of what you do with your life. You can never imagine them. And then he says this, he says, it would be evil in the sight of God. 
evil in the sight of God. And he ran. And here's the thing, right? That didn't work out well for him. Because many of you will know the story and you'll know she grabbed hold of his cloak and she tore some off. And so then she presented it to her husband. I don't know, I'm assuming out of shame, embarrassment, whatever, and said, look, he tried to attack me. Your servant tried to attack me. And Joseph ended up threw into prison. He was thrown into prison. He was wrongly accused and wrongly convicted. And so it seems like doing the right thing ended up with negative consequences. Guess what? Sometimes it does. Doing the right thing doesn't always give you a short-term benefit. It doesn't. It's not like the movies all the time where it always works out well in the beginning. It's always dead easy and everything's just fine. You do the right thing. There's never any cost. Of course there's a cost. Of course there's a cost to doing the right thing. There's a cost for me potentially getting up and saying this this morning, but it's the right thing to do. I nearly brought my daughter's hoverboard this morning. I threatened my kids with it because I was going to bring it. I was going to get on it and kind of whiz around the platform on it and stuff like that. Here's the thing, right? If I jump on, if I brought that and jumped on it, right, and whizzed around the stage on it, yeah, and kind of, you know, show off and look at me. And actually, I did it the other day, and and I'm all right on it, and then I did that. (laughs) That's what that is, if you're wondering. (laughs) Slightly embarrassing, but hey. But if I did that, right, and I went, anyone had that thought, you know what, it'd be great to be a kid again. You know, like, man, miss my childhood, you know, and um, what, you know, go back and do it all again, so much better. So I'm whizzing around on the hoverboard and I go, you know what, I agree, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm fed up now, I'm going to identify as a nine-year-old boy. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go back to school. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm nine now. That's it. I'm a nine-year-old boy and I'm going back to school. Is that cool? No, no one thinks that's cool, did he? No one's going to believe that I'm a nine-year-old boy just because I say I'm a nine-year-old boy. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this identifying, if I identified as a woman and said, you know what, I've always had thoughts of, you know, being a woman and felt affinity to to ladies and stuff like that, I'm identifying now as a woman. Or Vicky identified as a man. You know, I've always had thoughts and always thought I wear the trousers in this relationship, as some of you think, and you know, so so I'm actually going to be the the man in this relationship now, and I'm going to identify as a man, right? Guess what? I don't care how many operations, I don't care how many injections or hormones or anything else that's done, any, any court papers or anything, I'm a man. Because it's an inalienable right. That means it cannot be taken away because it was the gift of God. God gave it and so it cannot be taken away. No matter what I do, it cannot be taken away. And that's not intended to offend anyone or to upset anyone or to discourage anyone, but this this is the truth. And the majority of people know that. We've all just too scared to open our mouths and say it. 
fear of reprisal and what might happen in work and different things like that. And maybe it's not your place to stand up and say something. I'm not saying we should all go around and saying this is wrong and shouting it out and, uh, you know, and shaming people or anything like that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying we should do any of those things. But what I am saying is this. I can't say it's right. And as the pastor of a church, I can't say it's okay to do that because that would be wrong for me. Daniel didn't. No matter what the, the, the pain of offense was, no matter what the court said, no matter what the king said, Daniel would not bow. He refused to bow no matter what the consequences. Esther Esther refused to keep her mouth shut when challenged, to be fair, but refused to keep her mouth shut when she had to open her mouth and say it no matter what the potential consequences. And for me, the consequences are that some of you, we keep quiet as a church and we never say anything and we don't talk about this stuff. So some of you go away with the misconception that it's okay all of this stuff is okay and it's fine to do and there's not a problem with it when it's not. When it's not. There's a holy order. You, and, and if you're struggling with your sexuality, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you, number one, step one, I'm going to encourage you to accept it because whether you like it or not, whether you struggle with it or not, whether it's something you're comfortable with or not, God, in his wisdom, placed it there. God, and he knows what he's doing. And so accept God's authority and his order and who he is and accept it. And, and then, but don't just accept it. See, that's not enough. It, to just accept it is not enough. From accepting it, thank him. Even if you don't believe it at first, thank him because he's worthy. Whether you believe it kind of, you know, in your emotion and all of that stuff, he's worthy to be thanked. He's worthy to be praised for everything he's done, for the life that he has given to you, for the inalienable rights that he's given to you. The, the, start to accept it, but start to thank God for it. And when you've thanked him, thank him more. And then thank him more. And then thank him more. And thank him till it hurts. Thank him, thank him, thank him. Raise your voice and thank him. Thank him for all the things that you struggle with in your life. I thank God for my bald head. And believe me, I don't appreciate that. But it was literally one day I stood in the mirror and I went, God, I said, I did exactly that. I accepted it and I started thanking God for it. Started to thank him. Thank him for my body. Thank him for everything about it. None of us are perfect. We've all got our faults. Everyone's got something. And here's the thing. You might say, yeah, but you don't know. What I'm going through is far, far worse than what you're going through. How do you know? How do you know that? How do you know that the thing that you're struggling with, whether that's your identity, whatever that is, how do you genuinely know that that's worse than something I'm struggling with? Can you say that with any degree of certainty? Of course you can't. Nobody can. 
I'm not denying that it's a struggle. I'm not denying that it's difficult. I'm not denying that there's temptation or that it's a, a battle, a genuine battle. But I'm saying the answer isn't to, to try and change and be something that you're not and you never can be. I'm saying God says that. Inalienable rights. And how do you get your place back in heaven if you've lost it? You see, I don't see how you can be in heaven. How to, to, to be in heaven when you have aligned yourself and you've joined yourself in a sexual way with someone who is not your husband or your wife. I don't know how that's possible. Thanks, guys. Give them some hope that this, this is over because it's probably been a bit heavy this morning. I'm guessing from the silence. Either that or everyone's scared to say amen. Who knows? I don't know. It's cool. I don't mind. I'll stand up here and take the flack. I'll do it. I'll take the hit for us all. Jesus was the scapegoat for us all. Do you know that? I'll take it on my shoulders. I got up here and preached this. No one else. My words. I take responsibility and I'm cool with doing that. And it's on the record that I've said that. You want to get your way back in heaven? Then align yourself with God. Align yourself with his ways. Turn from your sin. Repent from it. Realize that it angers God. That he's angry at it. He's not, how often do we hear preachers saying, you know, God's, God's heartbroken that you've sinned. Yeah, it's really, you know, it upsets him when you sin, you know. Yeah, you know, like, you've, you know, he's, he's upset. He's, he's, a bit, he's a bit sad about it. He's not flipping sad. He's angry. God is angry at this. He's annoyed at this. And if, if you've got a genuine love for God, if you believe in the God of the Bible, you believe in creating Christ and who he is and his words, then there should be a righteous anger that rises up in us. Now, I'm not saying we go and march on flipping England like the Scots wanted to do years ago or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we go out and start shaming people or anything like that. But we have to hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to the confession of faith. Hold fast to the Bible and the Word of God, particularly while we're still able to in this country because there's people out there who are desperate to burn this book up, who are desperate to ban this book. They want to ban this book. Do you realise that? And probably this preacher's probably brought it a little bit closer. Who knows? You know, times have changed. Things that are wrong now used to be right in the past, even legally, in fact, definitely legally. Things that are right now didn't used to be in the past. So don't base your truth. Don't base what, what you do in life based on the law of man. Because the law of man is, is fallible. It will fail you. It will fail all of us. 
So who's to say that just because we all think, and I don't mean me personally, but you know, kind of our society thinks, hey, we've got it now. More than mistakes of the past, we've got it now. And there were some massive mistakes of the past that were wrong. Absolutely, of course, there were. But you know, it's all right now, and yet we've got it. You know, we've got it now. We're standing on the shoulders, and we know what we're doing now because. You know, we, we got it wrong in the past on that and that and that and everything was wrong and everything's right now. Of course it's not. Base your beliefs. If you want to assure your place in heaven, base your beliefs on the infallible word of God. Amen.